0: Well, I'm going to start with a confession, because if you'd told me about six years ago that I'd be writing a book on parenting and giving parenting seminars, I probably would have laughed or maybe cried, um, because I was the least likely candidate for writing a book on parenting. About six years ago, I was a real mess. Our second son had just been born, and we were struggling to balance the needs of a newborn with an emotional toddler. I just felt like I spent my whole days battling. I was battling with the baby who wouldn't sleep and I was battling with the toddler who wouldn't listen and I was feeling completely overwhelmed by feelings of guilt about my imperfections and mistakes, feelings of fear that somehow we were scarring our children uh, and feelings of confusion because I, I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. So I was sick of the internet, I don't know if you get to that point, but I was completely sick of the internet and all the conflicting advice you get there. I didn't want just another internet expert telling me why I'm doing it all wrong, I wanted some unchanging, timeless wisdom for being a parent and so I decided to reread the whole Bible from start to finish to find out what it had to say to modern parents like me. So I went to the Bible looking for little pieces of advice, the kind of little gems that your grandmother tells you. But when I came to the Bible, I realised that my questions were too small. The Bible forced me to step back and see a bigger picture, a framework that has made sense not just of parenting but of life. So I think that's a common problem for modern parents. We're so we're so caught up on the tiny details all the shoulds and shouldn'ts that we forget to step back and think about what is being a parent all about we could tell you our views about screen time or sugar or childcare or bottle feeding but we couldn't really tell you exactly what we're aiming for or how we plan to get there so tonight we're going to do that we're going to step back and consider the big picture of parenthood according to the bible We're going to look at our big purpose as humans and as parents. We're going to look at our big problem, our human limitations. We're going to look at our big values and how to pass them on. And then finally, our big family, our family's place in the wider community. So you might be disappointed to hear that I'm not planning to cover a whole lot of parenting techniques tonight. Instead, I'm going to help you to see your role from a bigger biblical perspective But I hope that doing that will give you the confidence and clarity that you need to go away and make those decisions for yourself. Well, starting with our big purpose, I think if I look around society, I think the one thing that people seem to be aiming for in life is happiness. We're constantly told do whatever makes you happy, follow your heart. We're on a constant quest to find our happily ever after with the perfect partner or the perfect house or the perfect job or the perfect body. And so if you ask modern parents what we want for our children, without thinking we all just say, we just want them to be happy. But I think there's a catch with that. The problem is the more we chase happiness, the less we seem to find it. If you look at the rates of depression and mental illness in the West, they've never been higher for both adults and children. If you look at the first generation of feel-good children, they're now hitting adulthood and huge numbers of them are struggling to cope with the setbacks and disappointments of life in the real world. They're not happy at all. So experts are starting to warn us that simply chasing the things that make us feel good and running away from the things that don't actually doesn't lead to lasting happiness experts have concluded that the secret to long-term happiness to deep genuine satisfaction is connection the people who live the happiest lives are those who feel connected to other people and connected to a higher purpose in life as humans we have this deep need to feel part of something bigger And when I opened up the Bible, it was no surprise to realise it's been saying the same thing all along. Humans were made for much more than an endless pursuit of happy feelings. We were made to find our meaning in connection with others. Well, the first chapters of the Bible describe how God created the world and everything in it, and at the pinnacle of God's creation was humankind. We had the unique honour of being made in God's image. So... Our purpose, our meaning and purpose are found, first of all, in connection with our maker. And then we read, uh, we're created to honour him by living out his values and character in the world. And we're also created, then, for connection with God's creation, the natural world. We're made to take care of it and to work it. And finally, we're made for relationship or connection with one another. We're made to do good to one another... <clears throat> while we rule creation together. And we see in the Bible that God enabled the first humans, who were called Adam and Eve, to get married and have children. So human beings are capable of producing another whole generation of humans who share that big purpose. Well, Jesus summarised our big purpose like this. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. So according to the Bible, we're created for the big purpose of connection to God, his creation, and other people. So if life is about more than just chasing happy feelings, then parenthood is about more than just making our children feel happy. Parenthood is about helping our children to connect with their big purpose in life. Of course, the foundation for parenthood is our lifelong bond of love and commitment to our children. But love is not enough. We have another very important task, and that is to help our children reach maturity. That includes physical maturity, so that they can live an adult life in this world, and moral maturity, so that they can make their own wise decisions. We want them to learn how to honour God how to live well in this world and how to love other people. To say that another way, parenthood is about passing on our values. So as parents, what we're aiming for is to raise children who know and live out their big purpose in life in connection to God, the world and other people. And if the experts are right, then that's actually the best way to help them find lasting happiness in the long run. Well, that's it really. Let's just... Go home and do it. Well, you know as well as I do that it's really not that simple because we have a big purpose, but we also have a big problem. I don't know about you, but before I had children, I had quite a long mental list of things I'll never do or say, things my children will never say or do. But now we're eight and a half years in and I've had to throw the lists out the window. There seems to be such a big gap between my glossy ideals and the reality. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were at church and our bishop, the bishop of our region was visiting and it was the end of church and the children were up the front sharing what they'd been learning in Sunday school. Usually our three-year-old says something cute into the microphone and everyone goes, oh. Well, this time the microphone came along to our three-year-old and he just said, but. (laughs) There was silence in the church and I was just up the back hiding. Anyway, it's not just our children who do the wrong thing, is it? As parents, we regularly do and say things that we deeply regret. I remember one of those bad mother moments when our middle son was just learning to walk and he was tottering around the yard when his three year old brother came along and pushed him over. And I was just so ashamed and shocked that he would do such a thing that I ran over and pushed him back. (laughs) I mean, it's just such a terrible thing to do. But, I mean, that's just one incident. Since then, there have been plenty of other moments that we, I, have done and said things that I wish I could take back. And I hope that it's the same for you too. Because the reality is that we constantly fail to live up to our big purpose, don't we? We don't even live up to our own expectations as parents, let alone God's. And I think this is a real problem for modern parents because the society around us tells us that we ought to be perfect. If you just read all the right articles, do all the right things and say all the right things, then you can be the perfect parent and raise the perfect child. You can avoid scarring your children for life. But the Bible's much more realistic. When I went back to the Bible, my imperfections and failures began to make sense. Well, we've seen that God created Adam and Eve and then he put them in a beautiful garden where they lived in harmony with God, his creation and one another. But in the middle of the garden, God put two special trees, didn't he? And he told Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, for human beings, honouring God, our maker, means trusting him to decide what's good for us and what's not. But Adam and Eve thought they knew better and they ate the fruit. Well, according to the Bible, that's the moment when our world changed forever. Because of their sin, all of humanity's key relationships became fractured. We became alienated from God, from his creation and from one another. Because of their disobedience, God had to send Adam and Eve out of the garden where they lost access to the other special tree, the tree of life. So as a result of sin, death entered the world. And it was there, outside the garden, that the first children were born. Did you ever notice that? Do you remember what were Adam and Eve's first sons called? Cain and Abel. It didn't take long to see that Adam and Eve's rebellious tendencies had been passed on to the next generation. Well, Cain was envious of his brother and became consumed with anger. And this is what God said to Cain Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. So every person in every generation faces that same choice. Will we honour God and treat others the way he wants us to, or not? Well, Cain chose to give in to his anger and he killed his brother. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but can you imagine Adam and Eve's grief at that point? They're grieving for one son because he's been murdered, and they're grieving for the other son because he's become a murderer. And that's the kind of fear we experience as parents outside the garden. We're afraid of what might happen to our children, but we're also afraid of who they might become. Well, living here and raising children here in an imperfect world has three implications. Firstly, we are not perfect. We will scar our children. There's just no way around it that our children will inherit both good and bad things from us. Unfortunately, all human children have human parents. But the Bible also teaches that no one is simply a victim of their parents' mistakes. Becoming an adult involves working out which parts of your parents' legacy you want to keep and which things you want to throw away. We've all done that. Each person is ultimately accountable for God, to, to God for how they live their life, regardless of the mistakes that their parents might have made. So in Ezekiel 18, verse 20, it says this, "'The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child,' The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. Well, there's a revolutionary idea that slowly, well, not so slowly actually, it's been around for a while, but it's making its way into the parenting books. And that is the idea of the good enough parent. And I think it's one we need to pay attention to the parenting experts are warning that perfectionism is really damaging for us and for our children because it weighs us down with guilt and anxiety that actually makes us less effective as parents. But when we aim simply to be good enough parents, we recognise that our imperfections are actually a powerful parenting tool because we can model to our children how to navigate life as an imperfect person in an imperfect world. When we make mistakes, our children see us saying sorry to God and others. They see us making amends and getting back up again the next day to try again in God's strength. When we wrong our children, they learn that the people around them aren't perfect and they get the opportunity to start practising grace and forgiveness. In addition to that, an imperfect childhood actually helps our children to grow. When our children don't get exactly what they want when they want it or when they have to experience discomfort or disappointment, it helps them to develop resilience. They learn to be patient and thankful, to persevere, to amuse themselves or to be happy for other people. Life skills like that can only be learnt the hard way. They can only be learnt if we let our children learn them. Well, we cannot be perfect parents to our children, but we can be good enough parents who keep striving towards our God-given purpose in his strength. Well, the second implication of raising children outside the garden is that our children aren't perfect either. Even if we were the perfect parents, there's no guarantee of how our children would respond. Teachers reckon that modern parents are really bad at admitting this one. In the past, if a child misbehaved at school, the parents would side with the teacher and follow up at home with some kind of consequence. But today, parents defend the kid. They blame the teacher. We're really reluctant to admit that our children sometimes do the wrong thing on purpose. But our children need to learn as well don't they? How to say sorry when you get it wrong, how to ask for forgiveness and how to get back up again and strive tomorrow. Well the third implication of being parents in an imperfect world is that we cannot stop bad things from happening to our children and that's a really hard one. We think that if we buy all the right safety gear, if we keep our house germ free and full of healthy food, if we stop our children from doing risky things, we can keep them safe forever. But sadly, this is a world where sin and sickness and death can affect our families at any time. And the Bible's full of stories like that. When our eldest son was in kindergarten, we got a series of notes home that there had been some reported cases of whooping cough at the school. Now, we had a newborn at home at that time. It was too young to be immunised, and I became really anxious about our son catching it and bringing it home to the baby. I remember pumping him for information at the end of the day. Were any of your friends coughing today? And did you wash your hands before you ate your lunch? And it's just that sums up how it feels. Sending your child into a school full of whooping cough germs sort of sums up how we feel when we have to send our children out into this world where bad things happen. Well, it's no wonder that Jesus said this from the cross, you may never, I had never noticed this before, I went back to the Bible, but this is what he said from the cross, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you say blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed, sometimes the pain of raising children in a fallen world is almost too much to bear. Well here's the good news. God offers us a way to cope with the guilt and fear we experience as parents. God offers to reconcile those broken relationships. But God doesn't just tell us to grow up and try harder. No, God says that we have to come to Him like little children. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So becoming better parents starts with coming to God with empty hands and honestly admitting our failures, our need for his forgiveness and grace. On the cross, God's only perfect son, Jesus, paid the price for all of our mistakes and imperfections And opened the way for us to be born again as children of God. Through Jesus, God forgives us for our sin. We don't have to carry around the guilt of our parenting mistakes anymore. When we join God's family, God also sends His Holy Spirit, who gives us a new strength and motivation to get back up again and try again tomorrow. That's my favourite parenting phrase try again tomorrow. As parents in a fallen world, we have to face that frightening reality that we are not in control of our children's world, but our Father is. And in his infinite power and wisdom, he is somehow using all things, even our parenting mistakes, for the good of his spiritual children. In Romans eight twenty-eight, we read, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So when we reach the limits of our human capabilities, when we're too frail and small to be the kind of parents we want to be, we can look up to our Father in heaven and rest in his endless compassion and grace. Well, there's something else that happens when we become children of God, and that is that we experience firsthand what good parenting feels like. Well, in researching for my book, I was astounded to find that the parenting experts actually agree on something. They agree on what is the most effective parenting style. And they say that the most effective parents are both warm and firm towards their children, that they avoid the extremes of being all warmth, that's kind of permissive parenting, or all firmness, kind of authoritarian sort of parenting. They love their children unconditionally, but they also have clear expectations for their children's behaviour. They love their children so much that they want them to grow and mature. So it's no surprise to learn that that's the kind of father that God is. As children of God, we experience his fatherly love. He accepts us, he forgives us, he provides for us, he listens to us, he guides us, even in our parenting. But we also come to see that God has very clear expectations for his children. He wants us to grow and mature, to grow up to share his values, the values of our spiritual family. And he's prepared to let us experience hard things to help that process along. In Hebrews 12, we read, "'Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, "'but God disciplines us for our good.'" that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So being parents in a fallen world often fills us with guilt and fear, but we can always run to God like little children and receive his forgiveness and grace. And knowing God as the perfect father helps us as parents too. Well, I started this project because I was completely overwhelmed and completely confused about what I should be doing and focusing on as a mother. Well, in my confusion, I often did what many modern parents do, and that is turn to Dr Google. But there's just so much information out there. It's impossible to keep up with the 10 things every parent must know and the 12 mistakes new parents make and the 27 things you must never say to your child. You just can't keep up, can you? I find that when my mind is spinning with too much parenting information, I get fixated on the tiny details based on whatever article I read last. So I remember realising that I was spending so much time counting how many servings of vegetables the boys were eating every day that I had no energy left to wonder whether they were learning to be kind or to share or to be generous. That's why it's so important for us to regularly step back and think about the big picture, We've seen that our primary job as parents is to help our children to know their place and purpose in the world. We want to teach them to honour God by living well in his creation and loving other people. In other words, parenting is about passing on our values, the things that are most important to us. Now, on one level, every family might have slightly different values, especially about the smaller things. But if we have become children of God, then our family values will be shaped by the values of our father, God. Well, the Bible summarises God's values with one little concept. Love. Love for God and love for other people. In the Bible, love is not primarily a feeling, but a commitment to doing good for others and not harm. In Romans 13, verse 9 to 10, sorry, we read, The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever ever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. Well, we're going to take a look at the most famous laws in the Bible, the Ten Commandments, to see what they can teach us about the things that God values most. Well, the first four commandments are actually about our relationship with God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an image of God and worship it. And you shall not misuse God's name. So our big purpose starts with loving or honoring the God who made us. And tied in with that is the fourth commandment about taking a Sabbath day each week to rest and to focus on our relationships, our connections with God and other people. Jesus made it clear that the Sabbath is not a strict requirement for Christians, but it is still a wise idea to regularly stop work, to invest in our key relationships. And I think if we don't do that, we send our children the message that life is about the tasks we do, and not about the connections that we share. Well, the next six commandments are about our relationship with other people. And it's interesting that the very first one, I don't know if you can think of it, is honour your father and your mother. So it's right for parents to exercise a loving authority over our children for their good. It's right for us to expect our children to treat us with respect in the way they listen to us and speak to us, especially. Well, next comes do not murder, which is another way of saying love your neighbour, don't do them any harm. And the last three commandments also fit into that category. Do not steal, do not lie about someone, and do not covet or envy what someone else has. And that's also really hard for modern families to do, I think. Well, now we're going to come back to the seventh commandment, which you could say is the Bible's main piece of parenting advice. Do not commit adultery. Or to put it positively, stay married as far as it depends on you. A faithful marriage is at the heart of Christian family life. But the sad reality is that in the Western world, marriages are falling apart like never before. One in three marriages in Australia will end in divorce. It's another one of the tragic consequences of living here in a fallen world. I'm sure many of you are well aware how sin can leave a family bruised and broken. It's important to remember that even if our family is not ideal, God can still graciously work all things for the good of his children. In fact, the Bible is full of stories of how God has redeemed broken families for His glory. But I trust that for most of us here, there's still time to build a marriage that is strong enough to survive the child raising years. One of the main challenges to marriage in our modern world is our tendency to put our children before our marriage. Of course, when our children are babies, they have legitimate needs that require our attention pretty much constantly throughout the day. But as they get older, many modern parents, as their children get older, the parents continue to put their children's needs and desires first at the expense of their marriage. We spend so much time and money and emotional energy on trying to fulfil our children's desires that at the end of the day, we've got nothing left to give our spouse. Well, when we do that, we end up with a spouse who feels resentful and taken for granted, and we end up with children who expect to be the centre of attention all the time. But putting our marriage first is not just better for us, but also for our children in the long run. Study after study shows that children do best when they're raised by their biological married parents. Divorce takes a terrible toll on children, and I'm sure many of you know that from your own experiences in childhood. So how can we put our marriage first, day to day? Well, I learnt a lot about this from a great book, it's not a Christian book, but it's excellent, called I Love You, But You Always Put Me Last, How to Childproof Your Marriage. And it's by an English relationship therapist called Andrew G. Marshall. Well, he describes marriages as U-shaped. There's a high when we first get together, but older couples are actually often the most romantic, but it's the bit in the middle, rubbing the rough edges off each other and bringing up children that's hard going. But then he says, happy marriages are built on good relationship skills, and that's an optimistic message because those skills can be learnt. We need to learn how to communicate better how to resolve our conflicts in a healthy way and how to parent as a unified team. Well, Marshall advises parents to make a regular time to talk. You could call it a meeting, if you like. I don't think my husband would like calling it a meeting. He's got enough of those already. But a time where each person can bring their concerns and feel genuinely heard. We need to have time when the kids aren't around, when when we can connect as husband and wife, Not just mum and dad. So finding that time might mean saying no to kids who want to stay up late, or saying no to kids who want to interrupt our conversation, or saying no to Netflix or Facebook or another church commitment. Our spouse needs to know that we are there for them as much as we are there for our children. Well, one major source of conflict in modern marriages is when we disagree with a parenting decision that our spouse has made. It's happened to us many times. And often we make assumptions about why they did that. And sadly, we usually assume the worst because they were lazy, something like that. But a more positive strategy is simply to ask them, why did you do that? And usually we find, if we take the time to listen, that our husband or wife actually had a really good reason for doing what they did. Generally, we're both just doing our best and we need to take time to listen to one another. When we disagree, it can also help to remind ourselves of the key values that we and our spouse share. Because often we actually have the same goal in mind with our parenting, but we just have different ideas about how we're going to get there. We need to stop worrying about what our parents or our friends or the internet experts say and start listening to the one person whose opinion really matters, and that is our husband or wife. We need to work this parenting thing out together. Well, another common source of conflict for modern parents is how we divide up the responsibilities of childcare and housework. In the past, it was quite set. And while that may have had its flaws, it was quite straightforward because everyone knew what was expected. Whereas now everything's up for grabs and it makes it difficult for us to work out where we're going to find the balance in our family. Marshall's main advice on this one is to try to step into the other person's shoes. Imagine what their day has been like, the priorities that they're trying to meet. Well, Marshall encourages couples to stop using negative strategies like defending yourself, nagging, criticising your spouse or caricaturing them. You always, you never. Instead, we need to use positive strategies like simply asking for help. Or showing appreciation for the other person's contribution to the family even if it looks different from our contribution now remember that the commandment said children should honour their father and their mother so we need to be careful not to undermine our husband or wife's authority in front of the kids we need to back each other up if we do disagree with something they've done or said then it's much better to follow up later in private than to do it in front of the kids. Well, summing up our Christian values as loving God and loving our neighbour sounds very straightforward, but it's often those closest to us that are the hardest to love. The first place we need to put our values into practice is our marriage, always seeking to do good to the other, to give our spouse the benefit of the doubt, always ready to show grace and give them another chance and always ready to apologise when we're the one who's got it wrong. Well, it's one thing to talk about our values, but it's another thing to actually pass them effectively on to our children. There was a recent study in the USA which shed some interesting light on the topic. Around 80% of the young people surveyed said that they valued their personal happiness and success above showing concern for others. Now, that may not surprise you, but it certainly surprised their parents, who believe the opposite. The study's authors commented that this is most likely because there's a gap between what we say are our top priorities and the messages that our day-to-day behaviour sends to our children. So how do we pass our values on? How do we teach our children to live out their big purpose of loving God and loving others? Well, the first and most important and arguably the hardest way is to model our values. The Apostle Paul called himself a spiritual father to those who he'd shared the gospel with, and he wrote this, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. The next way to pass on our values is by using our words. As we saw earlier, our job is to teach our children about their place and purpose in the world, about God and his values. In the words of Psalm 78, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us, we will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done, He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Well, the next way to pass on our values is to train our children. Maturity only comes with practice. Hebrews says that the spiritually mature are those who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So we need to give our children the opportunity to practice both life skills and doing good to others. Don't just entertain them while you go and do your jobs. Treat them as your apprentices. Take them along with you. Teach them how to do it. Well, the next thing we can do is to set clear boundaries. It helps our children to know exactly what we expect from them. The church leader James refers to God's word as the perfect law that gives freedom. Knowing where the boundaries are actually frees our children because they're not left wondering whether you're going to be pleased or not with what they're doing. They're pretty confident of the playing field. Well, another strategy we can use involves natural consequences. Just like the book of Proverbs in the Bible, we can warn our children about the likely consequences of their actions and then, if it is safe, we can choose not to step in and shield them from the consequences of their own decisions. We often say things like, if you feed your lunch to the ducks, or if you're rough with that toy, if you don't study for your exam, the hard bit is, letting the consequence happen, if it's safe, obviously. Well, next we can learn to gradually hand over responsibility to our children. Galatians 6, verse 2 to 5 says, "'Carry each other's burdens, "'and in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. "'If anyone thinks they are something, "'when they're not, they deceive themselves. "'Each one should test their own actions.' Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to anyone else for each one should carry their own load. So Paul talks about a load, what one person should be able to do for themselves. But he also talks about a burden when there is too much for one person alone to carry. So working working out the difference between a load and a burden lies at the heart of parenting. At every age and stage, we need to work out what's an appropriate load of responsibility for our children to carry without our help. But we also need to be alert to their burdens when it's too much for one small person to bear. So remember, one of our primary goals is to help our children reach physical maturity to gain all the skills they'll need as adults. So we need to gradually hand that over to them, let them take charge of those things. But our job's also to help them reach moral maturity, so we also need to hand the reins over to them about decisions, gradually, as we think towards adulthood. Well, in the Bible, the whole project of teaching our children their purpose, teaching them to love God and love others, is summarised by the word discipline. In the Bible, discipline doesn't mean punishment. It means something more like discipling or training apprentices. We spend a lot of time arguing about whether parents should or shouldn't smack their children. But really, that's just a very small part of biblical discipline. In the Bible, discipline includes all of the things we've just spoken about, all those facets. In some families, it might also include physical discipline. But I personally think that's for each couple to discuss and decide for themselves. The hardest thing for us modern parents is that all of this, modelling, teaching, training, setting boundaries, disciplining, takes a lot of time, a lot of energy and a lot of repetition. You don't see instant results. It's just easier to entertain the kids, put the TV on or rush off to another activity than to slow down and teach them those skills. We often get impatient and ask, how many times do I have to tell you? But the answer to that question always has to be, as many as it takes. Well, as I researched for my book, I realised that one of the hardest things for modern parents is that for the first time in history, we're trying to do this thing alone. Modern families tend to move around a lot, so we end up feeling isolated, far away from our extended family and with no one nearby to turn to. In our modern world, the nuclear family is everything. It's just mum, dad and the kids against the world. Most of us don't really live in neighbourhoods anymore. We don't know our neighbours and even if we do, we barely trust them around our children. But the Bible paints a very different picture of family life. In fact, in the Bible there is no word for the nuclear family. God has always called individuals and their families to be part of a bigger community that's bound together by God's values and working together to pass those on to the next generation. In Old Testament times, this vision was lived out in extended family groups within the nation of Israel, all of Abraham's descendants. But when Jesus came, he revolutionised the concept of family. Jesus said that you no longer have to be born into Abraham's blessed line to be one of God's children. No, you can join God's family by faith. Everyone who trusts in Jesus becomes a child of God and a sibling to believers everywhere. God's family is made up of all kinds of people, single, married, old, young, men, women. We're united by our love for God and our love for one another. Those who have biological families who are far away or who are not supportive can depend on the love of their spiritual family. So as Christian parents, we have the privilege of bringing our little family into God's big family of faith. And there we find spiritual brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas who can support us as we do the difficult task of raising children in Christ. They can play a significant part in our children's lives as teachers and role models alongside us. It's a great blessing to have other people praying for your children, teaching them, showing them what it means to be disciples of Jesus. And it's a great blessing to know that when we're at the end of our patience, there's someone we can call to mind the kids or just for a word of advice and encouragement. Well, I had an experience of this kind of family, spiritual family, a bit earlier in the year. Our kids go to the same school as some other families from church and our middle son had just started kindergarten. And one of the other church mums happened to be at school during the day when I was at home doing something else. She was at school and she heard someone crying in the sick bay and she recognised it was our middle son's voice. And so she asked the office lady, so... I think I know him. Do you mind if I go in and sit with him? And so she did. She went in and sat with our son who'd fallen over and grazed his knees. And it was just so special to know that while I couldn't be there to comfort our son, God sent a sister in Christ to be there with him. And it's that kind of loving community that the people around us are really craving. Many modern families are feeling isolated and alone. So can I encourage you to take every opportunity to build a genuine intergenerational community here and then you can invite your neighbors to come and see and experience the love of God that changes lives. Well, I hope you found it helpful tonight to step back and think about the big picture of parenthood according to the Bible. We need to remember our big purpose, that we were created by God, to honour him, to live well in his creation and to love other people. We need to acknowledge our big problem, that we often fall far short of our big, our big purpose. But if we come to God like little children, he forgives us and gives us a fresh start. And knowing God as our father can actually teach us what good parenting looks like. Next, we need to work out our big values and and intentionally pass them on to our children. And finally, we need to bring our little family into God's big family of faith because we can't do this alone.